0: Hey, let's take our Bibles together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And maybe your thumbs are accustomed to going straight to Matthew and you're wondering now, where is Thessalonians? Well, you'll find all the T's together in the New Testament. So if you find Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians, they're all right there together. So find 1 Thessalonians and let's go to chapter 3 there. We're talking about the church today that it's meant to be a mobilized and growing body of jesus christ and it's been god's plan from eternity past that we would be just that so it's mobilized and it's initiated by jesus christ and it's even empowered today by the spirit of christ as it was empowered by the spirit in the beginning in the first century it's an amazing act of god's love and grace that he would call us to be part of his kingdom life, the expression of who he is, the body of Christ, that he would call us to be joined together, to be members of the household of faith, called to love God and to demonstrate that love for God by loving other people, both locally and globally. And Meadowbrook, this is our call. This is God's impassioned plea for us and the empowerment of the spirit to bring it about, that we would love God and we would love other people. And you sense that throughout the New Testament, and you hear it as well in the writings of the epistles of the New Testament. In fact, the earliest Paulinian letter that was written is 1 Thessalonians. It was early in Christendom here, and Paul is laying out, here, here's the basis of what church life is meant to be. And he tells us this in the third chapter of that first letter that he wrote. I'll read it, and then we'll look at it more closely. Uh, it's on the screens as well as in your Bible. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Some key words that stand out. I'm a big proponent of journaling as I'm reading the Bible and just making notes as the Spirit draws attention to certain parts of the Scripture. And sometimes I, I'm drawn to something in a text and then six months later reread the text and I'm drawn to something else. It's just the, the power of the Spirit and power of the, the living Word of God. But here's some things that stand out to me. And the first is that, that God would establish our hearts and that they would be established with blamelessness and holiness that we would be blameless there would be no accusation that could stick by an accuser by the way you know who the accuser is don't you the accuser of the brethren is the devil himself and christ wants to be so established in us as as he brings accusation against us the blood of jesus is pronounced over us and christ our advocate stands up says oh nope paid for that uh, he's blameless. She's blameless. There's nothing that sticks there. I've removed that guilt from them and justified them as if the sin was never committed. Isn't that amazing? Then that great grace? That's not accomplishment by religion. That's grace by Jesus that draws us into a relationship with the Holy God. So that sort of stands out to me. And of course, that there would be a day that we will be standing before God, the Father. You, you do realize that every person, whether they're saved or unsaved, whether they go to church, don't go to church, the good, the bad, every person is going to stand before God. Every person. The gospel, the good news is, is that you can stand before God and it can be an amazingly good time. It can be a glorious time, a time where... Where rewards are given, not where judgment is pronounced. And in Christ Jesus, those who have faith in Him, He is establishing this blamelessness and holiness before God the Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He does so for all His saints. How many saints do we have in the house today? Anybody? Shoot, Jeff, you've been part of Meadowbrook long enough. You recognize the blood of Jesus Christ is what declares you to be a saint before a holy God. That a transference is taking place. He has taken away your guilt and your sin. and He has put in instead his righteousness. And, and he makes it so that you are declared to be blameless in holiness before God. And that, my friends, is a saint. No longer identified as a sinner, but identified as a saint. And that changes everything. Not just our life eternally, but that changes the mindset of how we live our life day by day. That if you see yourself as God sees you, as a saint of God by Jesus Christ, then you are more apt to do saintly things. But if you can get convinced by the accuser that you're a sinner who keeps on sinning, you're just as apt to keep on sinning. You have the power of Jesus Christ so that you and I can walk in righteousness. Never had that before. Not prior to Christ. You and I are empowered to walk righteously. He's given us a new nature. We're made that we might be able to walk in the newness of life in Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is how we walk with the saintliness of Christ. So, with this in mind, God has established our salvation. God has made it that we would be blameless in holiness before Him. And God has made it that we would be saints, akin to the word holy. That God has made us holy. In that, it takes us back to the first part of that. In that, we ought to love. We ought to increase in our love. We ought to increase in our love for God and others. In fact, the Shema is the greatest of the Hebrew sections of the scripture for them. It's Deuteronomy 6. It's, Hero, Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love him. And remember what he says love him with all your being, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love other people as well as you do yourself in fact jesus repeated that in the gospels in mark chapter 12 verse 29 30 and 31 he says you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself so paul writes to the early church a letter that was meant to be communicated and distributed among other churches and as the spirit has protected that it's become part of the scripture for us We still read it as a circulating letter to the churches today. And here's what Paul says on the outset, make sure that you're abounding in love. So today I'm going to talk about vision. I'm going to talk about the future. But all of that is grounded in this. Before we talk about ministries and programs and brick and mortar, the most important thing that we talk about is that we abound in love. Because if we had all the greatest facilities and all the greatest programs and all the greatest ministries but didn't do it in love, the 13th chapter of Corinthians says we would be very noisy to the community around us. and We have no business doing that. We're, We're meant to be the body of Christ, growing, expanding, and showing and sharing the love of Jesus with all the world. Now, with that in mind, I think that there are some priorities that just surface in Meadowbrook that I wanna draw attention to. In fact, this past week, as I was just kind of fleshing this out on paper, this part took me about 90 seconds because it it doesn't take much to figure out what Meadowbrook loves and what Meadowbrook is really passionate about. And I'm gonna give them to you, but they're not in any uh, order or priority. They're just things, some thoughts that came to my mind that I believe the Spirit of God is engaging in us, that are priorities for us. Number one is worshiping God that we are a people that love to worship God. Now, worshiping God certainly took place in the last few minutes, and it's certainly taking place now. It's the corporate gathering of the saints, which the 10th chapter of Hebrews says, don't forsake that. Make sure you're coming together to worship together. Don't don't be like some and forsake that. Come together and worship. So corporate worship is absolutely essential. It's why we do it 52 weeks out of the year. We don't take a week off. Because worshiping of God is most important. It's a priority for us individually and corporately. So we worship. But it's not just about our corporate gatherings. Meadowbrook is passionate about worship in our daily lives. In fact, Kay and I are often gathered together in the kitchen on uh, any weekday or weekend. And we're reading through the scripture together. And we're praying for one another. And usually I'll end the time in holding her hand and praying over her, and over us. And one of the most frequent prayers that I pray includes, now, Lord, today Kay's going to be doing this, this, and this, and I plan to be doing that, that, and that. We pray that we would do it unto your glory. We pray that all things in thought, word, and action would be unto the glory of God. Can I tell you what that is? That's worship. Whether it's working in the office or working in the house, working in the school, working in the plant, working in the field, whatever it is, You can do it as unto the Lord, and it be absolutely worshipful. There have been many times I've cut grass, and at the conclusion of it, have a worshipful moment. Because God's allowed it to be done, and done well. It brings glory to Him. It brings beauty to His creation. This management opportunity that He gave me to do that is a worshipful event. And it can be that way in everything that we do. And all that we do, we can do it in heart and soul and mind unto the glory, worship of God. By the way, this this has this connotation to romance. That we pursue love and the communication of love to God. Love Him with all your heart. I know it sounds a little weird, but when's the last time you romanced God? You went out of your way to communicate love and affection for Him. That ought to be daily for us, to have this love relationship with God as He does with us. I'm I'm as manly as I know how to be. I'm telling you, God has romanced me and drawn me into a love relationship with Him. And it just serves Him well for me to do the same, to love Him and express that love. Boy, that's way outside the notes, but there it is, uh, since the Spirit wanted me to draw that out. Number two that I wrote down was this, that we are passionate about Bible teaching and application of that teaching. Uh, The church, if you describe anything about Meadowbrook, you're probably describing Bible teaching. And it's not just about me. I mean, you afford me the opportunity to be a student of the Bible and to communicate the Bible truths. Not a lot of pastors have what I have, the ability to concentrate much time into the study of God's Word and communication of God's Word. But you give that to me because Bible teaching and application is so important to you. But it's more than that. It's life groups. It's discipleship groups, and it's more than gathering people together. It's daily engagement in God's Word. If you've been around Meadowbrook very long, you know that we encourage you to have daily Bible reading, and not just reading, but studying and memorizing and meditating. I say read it with a pencil in your hand. Mark it as you're going. Make some notations that the Holy Spirit is drawing out to you, and then apply it. Obey it. It would be ridiculous for us to have and to know and not do Because it's the doing where the real blessings come. So Meadowbrook is passionate about that. You see, we're also passionate about strong and faithful families. One of the best stories that I have, I've been here nearly 18 years. Uh, In one of the services, I went to wash the fellowship off my hands before the next service. Uh, You don't want me passing germs from the 8 o'clock and the 9.30 service, do you? So I, I go and kind of wash up for a minute. I looked in the mirror and I thought, man, that's a lot of gray looking back at me. And it's true. But can I tell you, that's... Almost two decades of being the pastor of Meadowbrook as well and raising three boys. But anyway, just as age is catching up, I'm seeing a lot of gray coming in this hair. And I'm just reminded back when I first started, one senior adult male came up to me and he spoke for a group of them. And he said, Randy, whatever you do, make strong families a priority at Meadowbrook. Make sure that we're investing in families. The senior crowd, this is what they said to me. We have maturity in our faith. Make sure there's strong maturity of faith in the young families. Invest in the kids. Invest in the parents. Invest in the students. And we have attempted to do that. And that's going to be even more. I'll announce that later on, how we're going to increase the strength and the the faithfulness of our families. Listen, if you have a two-year-old in our preschool department, you know what they're doing right now? They are hearing biblical truths even at two years old. Now they're simplistic, no doubt, but they are biblical truths and they are framing up those little tender minds to the way of Jesus Christ. And if your kids are in elementary grade, I can tell you they've already had one hour and they're going on their second hour of biblical instruction. If they come on Wednesdays in August, they'll see all that portrayed on the stage as well with music and drama and the like to reinforce those things. And if you have students here, I can guarantee that our students are hearing a sound instruction of the Bible from a Bible teacher. We're not just playing games around here. We're teaching God's Word because those students are going to go off into the workplace or they're going to go off into college and they need a basis, a strong basis of the Word of God in their life. Here's what I'm trying to say. From the preschoolers all the way to the senior adult years, we want strong generational families that prove to be faithful. It's a priority to us. Anybody else want to agree to that? Yeah. And we disciple people to the point that they can become disciplers. Your life group is like that. It's meant to be a a pouring out of God's word relationally and on Sunday mornings to the point that you could pour it out to other people. I write messages that way, not to just affect your heart and my heart, but to affect the heart of others who you replicate that word to, you, you repeat that word. We even write notes out so that you can take those notes and share them with somebody else as God has shared them with you. You take those and share them with somebody else. Everything about us is multiplicity. It's supposed to be that way. God wants a multiplied effect. Listen, God never honors the one who holds on to and puts it down in the ground, something that he's given to them. Instead, God honors the person who takes what they've been receiving and then multiplies it so that when the Lord returns again, there is a multiplicity effect. So our life groups are framed that way. If you have a life group, we have an expectation that your life group is going to multiply. We learned early on that if we have greater numbers of life groups, we have greater numbers of baptisms. If we have greater numbers of life groups, we have more people engaged in the instruction of God's word. We have more people engaged in ministry. So it is imperative that we multiply the number of life groups that we have. I'll show you statistically where we go stagnant in our attendance and in our membership. We have gone stagnant in the starting of new life groups. Now most people agree and nod with me until we say to their life group, hey, it's time for you to multiply. And then it's a little off hands, right? Don't you can go, you can mess with anybody else, but don't mess with me. But I'm just telling you, God never honors the person who says, God, I'm going to take the resource that you gave me and I'm going to bury it right here. God always honors the one who says, I'll take what you've given to me and I'll multiply it, knowing that you're coming back again and you're going to seek the multiplication. That's what D-groups are all about. You sign a commitment going into D-groups. That you're going to meet together for a year. You're going to engage in God's word together. You're going to pray with one another and be real with one another. And at the end of the year, it's over. And your commitment is you will be one of those in the D group that will multiply. So if Kay and I are discipling seven people at the end of the year, those seven people have a heart intention to have seven groups. See how that multiplicity works? That's how we disciple people disciple them a good solid bible teaching and engagement in God's word and life group and discipleship groups and one-on-one opportunities Meadowbrook is is given to that and I pray that we would be found more faithful in that and then local and global missions you're you're just it's a prominent area of your life it's so important to us that we are missionally minded both locally and globally you know Meadowbrook continues to be the major contributor among the locals Uh, for the gospel and for the gospel compassion. I don't know of another church that has engaged as long or as deep into local missions as Meadowbrook. Maybe they're out there, and I hope to God that they are. But Meadowbrook has historically shared the gospel and shared meals and shared clothing on a weekly basis that is really astronomical. It takes about 100 people for us to do this in any given week where we are having gospel conversation with family after family after family and praying over them spiritual truths and giving to them much-needed groceries or clothing. You know, God said, make sure that you feed and clothe people. So Meadowbrook has a heart for that. And in that feeding and clothing them, we we pray over them. We speak spiritual truth into them. We give them dignity by providing what other programs don't provide in government uh, fundings we give them hygiene and other items so that they can be dignified because they're made in the image of God and they ought to walk with dignity and not not be unclean so we, we want to partner with people where they are at their at the most vulnerable places and while we're doing that we're sharing the love of Christ. We serve meals to people on a weekly basis. The 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 highest count of the week is always the Meadowbrook day. And people know that they're going to be loved on and fed well on those days. You, you can't name another church that has more Bible teaching that goes on in the local schools than Meadowbrook. We've got multiple clubs of good news that go on on a weekly basis while school is in session. And why is that? That's not being braggadocious. Why is that? It's because God has put in us a heart for missions. We cannot make this about ourselves because God won't let us. So we go outside the walls of this church and we engage in the community. What you're going to do this afternoon at 4 o'clock is you're going to knock on the doors of 400 homes around us telling them about a showing of, of I Can Only Imagine here on Wednesday. And you're going to invite them to this gospel message of film. And you're going to share with them as God would give you the opportunity to share And it's going to be an encouragement to them and an encouragement to us. Come at 4 o'clock, sweat with us as we march around the neighborhood for Jesus. Local missions are essential to us, but it's global as well. Do you know that we're budgeted to give about $400,000 this year in missions? And on top of that, you'll give just when the pastor asks you to give. like About $75,000 is going to be given to other mission fundings like Bibles for refugees or food for those who are in need or Uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering or Lottie Moon Easter offering. You'll just give because you have a heart to that. But it's not just giving, it's doing. You are physically touching on the ground eight countries this year. It's an amazing influence of the gospel. And I pray that it would continue, that God would find us even more faithful in the coming months and years towards missional efforts. But it's a big, big deal to us, local and global missions. So these components are central to who Meadowbrook is. If you were trying to put it into a a statement, it would be something like this. Meadowbrook seeks to connect people to Christ and His church, grow them as disciples to be disciplers, and equip them to serve through missions, ministry, and worship, all to glorify God. That's our statement. That's what we measure to every time we're putting a ministry or a program together, we're seeing, is this connecting people to Christ in His church? Are we equipping saints for work in ministry and missions? Are we making disciples in this? Is it glorifying to God? And if it doesn't meet that criteria, then we just stop. Because we believe this is what Jesus is going to hold us accountable to. I think He's going to look us collectively and individually, eye to eye, and He's going to say, did you connect people to me? And my church? And did you disciple like I told you to disciple to the point that they could be disciplers? And did you equip as a pastor people to do missions and ministry? And did you do it in a way that's glorious unto me? So, with that in mind, I move us towards this notion about the future. Let me say from the outset that brick and mortar buildings are not essential for grand ministry and grand worship. I've been in the places where I've been invited to preach, and we go to the location, and there's a gathering of people that bring their own chairs, and they gather under a mango tree. And I've worshipped the Lord and preached the Word of God among more than one mango tree. And I've been in the thatched huts of Africa that have been made with their intricate detail and preached under the thatched huts there. And I've been into the concrete structures that were just bare walls, except for the fabric, the color splash of fabric that the women had so diligently put behind the platform to draw attention to the beauty and the glory of God. And I've been in great, great sanctuaries that have cost millions of dollars and been able to preach in them as well. What I'm saying to you is that brick and mortar is not essential to good worship, but God sees it as important. And I know that to be the case because while the people of Israel were moving towards a land that God had promised them, he centralized the place of worship as a temporary structure, the tabernacle. And when they arrived in the land of Israel and God said, this land flowing with milk and honey is yours and I will meet you there. You will be my people and I will be your God. He established for them the grand structure of the temple. A glorious image of what is in heaven soon to be experienced by you and me. And even in the ministry of Jesus, it was every Saturday that as a child and even as an adult ministering, Jesus would go every Saturday to the synagogue that was in the place of the community where he was. And as a child, he would listen to the rabbis, and as an adult, he would be invited to be a special rabbi for the day to take God's word of the Old Testament and proclaim the good news of God through that. I know that brick and mortar is not essential, but I can tell you with all certainty, brick and mortar is important to God when it comes to worship and ministry. In fact, the mango trees that I preached under were not just mango trees, they were the best mango trees available and the intricate design of the thatched work when i looked up in a worship building made of thatch was absolutely spectacular and the color splash that was a sacrificial gift from the ladies to the church in order that god's beauty might be discovered in the midst of worship was intentional buildings make a difference because god is beautiful and god is grand and god is spectacular buildings make a difference now don't get me wrong i can tell you that i'm going to shuck the corn in a building that's designed for worship just as hard as i'm shucking when i'm in here in a gymnasium that doesn't matter to me if god chose for us to be in this place for the rest of our days so be it if it's the will of god but i don't believe right now that it's the will of god you know why because the message and the proclamation and the worship that you and I engage in doesn't match the place where we worship and that's an issue I'm believing that God wants us to have a Place of worship where the community can be drawn in, where families can come in, where you and I can anchor in this community and let it be the hub by which we do continual ministry, not a turning inward, but a a hub in which we send more people and more resources out. So I don't think it's by chance that the Spirit of God, on the very day that I would share the vision with you, would also prompt us to have the second Sunday of giving for Bibles. Or people that the majority of you will never lay eyes on. And I don't think it's by chance that on the day that I would present the vision to you about buildings and brick and mortar and ministry and such that we would also be called to go into the community and make connection with the households around us. That's not by chance. What I'm wanting you and me to discover is yes, the, bu- the, the building is important, and I believe God's calling us to that, but it is not our mission. The mission is outside. So what does all this mean? In 2007, we began to recognize that God had a plan for us as a campus and that it would be a plan that would really touch the generations to come. It wouldn't be just about us. We're on a limited piece of property boxed in by neighbors around us, and so we had to make sure everything was done as well as could be done on the property that we have. And so we began to employ an architect and, Asked them to speak into the plan, and they did. And man, was it a grandiose plan back in 2007. But unfortunately, we had the wrong idea. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I've repented of it since. My idea was like many a church, if we build it, then we can pay for it afterwards. That's a pretty foolish way to do God's work. And thankfully, God did not allow us to do that. In 07, we had this notion, though, that we might build something and then pay for it afterwards. In 08, we sensed by the Spirit of God just to pause. The architect said to us, hey, you're at a natural pause place. We're at 30% of the drawings. This is an opportunity for us just to regroup and make sure we're on the right track. And that gave me an opportunity to pause and pray, and many of you an opportunity to pause and pray. And we sensed from the Spirit, stop. He didn't tell us when, how long. He just said, stop, just pause. What we did not know was that a few months later there would be a really catastrophic effect into our economy. The housing market was crumbling. The stock market, of course, tumbled. On paper, wealth dissipated about 40%. It has since not only regained but surpassed those figures if you left it all alone. But at any rate, we were grateful to God that we had that pause because we were not in that trap. And it also gave us opportunity to watch. Around us. Now, I may not be the sharpest guy around, but I can pay attention to what's going on around. And I saw some churches that were really struggling under a heavy dirt debt service. And I thought, as they were chipping away at budget for missions and ministry and chipping away at cutting staff in order to pay the debt service, God, thank you. Thank you for protecting Meadowbrook from that kind of leadership. Now in 2016, things were turning. The sense that the Lord was drawing us back to this notion of the building, the expansion, the opportunity for growth. But something powerful was communicated in my spirit and was akin in your spirits as well, that we would do it differently. We would do it without debt. Not just some debt, but no debt that we would build a building and walk into a building having paid cash for it. Now, I don't know many churches that have done that. I don't know many businesses or families that have done that, but I believe that that's what God called us to do. Now, for that to be, I sensed that the Spirit was giving some progress to this notion, some idea of a process to follow. And most churches go straight to a 36-month pledge campaign, and that's certainly where my thoughts initially went. But the Spirit was saying, no, do that last. You have to have some footings in cash before you can start building in a capital campaign like that. So I began to just pencil that out in a prayerful way and began sharing with other people, asking them to invite God's wisdom into their lives and speak that into this and pray in earnest for it. So we came up with these little triggers, if you will. Well, if God would allow us to be able to have $2 million in cash reserves and just set that aside, you know God was already doing that? Every year in the summer, our staff would get together and we would pray in earnest that God would give us vision for the coming year, the next year, give us the ministry and the the programming needed for that, and that would develop into a, a budget, and whatever the budget was, that's what we went with. But if God gave us over... The budget. We didn't look for ways to spend it. We said, God must be doing something. We'll push that aside. And did you know that you have pushed aside $2.4 million? That's unheard of. That surpassed the $2 million trigger that I sensed from the Spirit we would have to have. The first harvest offering year included two harvest offerings, $2 million was raised in cash. So you've got just over $4 million set aside. When you get to the $5 million point, that's the point that I believe that God would say, go ahead and do the the monthly campaign. So in 2016, these offerings, these harvest offerings began, a couple of them. And we've seen the faithfulness of people, and we've seen the faithfulness of God. Now, I know that some of you probably think, Randy, you've been dragging your heels on this all along That's because you have to, I think, you have to get to the $5 million cash mark before you can start the pledge campaigns. I just sensed that from the beginning, from the Spirit and His wisdom. And and so many of you have concurred with that. But we're almost there. In fact, I believe that's what we're being called to now. Here's the 15th of July. I'm going to ask that we give a million dollars from September to December. Now, when I say a million dollars... It almost makes me laugh out loud. I'm just going to tell you. Kay and I have been working for a long time. I've been working since I was 14 years old. I've held steady jobs, never been unemployed. Maybe the next business meeting will change that, but never been unemployed. (laughs) I've been working my whole life, and we have yet to raise anywhere near a million dollars. So I know that that's a lot of money. But I'm believing that God wants us to ask, or a million dollars in harvest offerings by the end of the year. And that God has already entrusted that to us. And if we'll be faithful and sacrificial, that will come in. And then we can start right away moving towards the construction. Now, let me just show you how that works out in three steps. Now, if you'll just take your hand out with me, you're, you're much better than one of the earlier service. All I saw was the crown of their heads while I was pe- preaching. And I said, hey, look up at me <laughs> because I need to see your eyes. Right, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, along with the uh, building committee and the lay shepherds of the church and all the committee heads that formed together, the ministry coordinating team, here's the proposal. Step number one, prepare to construct a worship facility and more. The building team and the lay shepherds are proposing that we employ black design architecture. Uh, I know that's in lowercase. That's the way they want it to be. It makes us talk about them more when it's like that. But to employ them who have connected and are partnered with Richard Fu, who knows us well. Richard knows us as a church. We've been engaged with him for over a decade. And even while we were in the suspended points, and he was making not a dime on us, Richard and I would meet just... Regularly, once or twice a year, just engaging in conversation, seeing what God was doing in his life, seeing what he was doing in my life, in the life of Meadowbrook. So employ Black Design Architecture to be the firm to update our master plan and design the worship space, the connectivity space, and the education space. And with the church's approval, the design firm will be employed by the church and begin their work immediately. In an earlier session uh, in in this early season we're asking that the personnel excuse me the building committee would go ahead and begin to discuss with potential contractors and choose a contractor so that they can speak into the design a lot of times the design is put out there and then the builder gets it and they begin to value engineer for the customer ways that you can save money be more efficient we would like to have that partnership early on So that there is a speaking into the design, an early value engineer from the builder. So that's one of the things. Go ahead and employ the the architect and and get them working. Secondly, to launch Kids Worship Live. Now, if you're a parent with us, you have never had children's worship here at Meadowbrook. So Kids Worship Live is going to be a beautiful thing for you. Because while we're engaged in worship here, although families can certainly worship together here, and I encourage that to be the case, Kids Worship Live is going on so that they have live worship. I can't wait to to share with you the person that the Spirit of God is bringing to us. I can't do it today because... That person's church doesn't know yet. and We don't want to cause disruption among them yet. But that person is amazingly talented. So our kids are going to have Christy who's going to be teaching them God's word and a worship leader who is going to be engaging them in worship. And our hope is they'll be singing much of the same songs that you and I are singing so that when you're humming on the way home from church, they'll be humming on the way home for church the same songs. So Kids Worship Live is just a big, big deal uh, for us to provide, and it... it allows children to be able to worship together at their level the third part of step one is to implement the future schedule now All right, so when the building is built we still want to have two services uh, most churches now don't think about having one massive building and doing one service they recognize that's not good stewardship so they build a smaller venue and have multiple services so we'd like to have two services one at eight o'clock and one at ten forty-five. That means that the preacher goes long, which he is today, 15 minutes, uh, our typical time of worship is an hour and 15 minutes. All right, you think I'm in overtime when it goes past noon. And when we leave at 12.15, I'm thinking, okay, I'm out on time. You're all thinking that I'm late. So if we do it at 10, 10.45, when you think I'm late, you'll actually think, oh, he's ahead of time today. We're, we're going to eat. So anyway, two services, one at 8 o'clock, one at 10.45, and one life group in between at 9.30. That's going to be the future schedule. I'd like for us to go ahead and implement that now on the 19th of August. Now, you're nodding with me and you're in agreement with me because that puts us together more time. But I'm going to tell you this is going to be cumbersome because we're going to have to put some people in some unconventional space. And, hey, when we start constructing I'm just going to remind you of your nods and your smiles because it is not going to be easy to get around here. We already have a small area. When you put a laydown area and a footprint for a construction site, you're going to be like mice moving through just mazes to get to where you need to get. So just be mindful that we're going to have to be very gracious and, and giving towards one another. Raise a million dollars in harvest offerings by the end of the year. That gives us the first and the second tier goals complete. Those two tiers will be complete at the end of the year with a million dollars, uh, which moves us quickly to the pledge campaign. And then host a Q&A session, and business session on the 1st of August, where you can ask questions and then we can affirm the plan as it's being given, if in case you do affirm that. Step two would be to begin any renovations that the master plan will call for. So merging the two life groups into one hour is going to be tricky because it means that we have zero space for new life groups. And new life groups are the life source, the continual life source of our church. So we're hoping that in 2019, we can begin some renovations if the master plan shows that it's feasible to do so. Over in the first building that was ever built nearly 60 years ago, by the way, our anniversary, 60th anniversary is coming up next month. And the first building that was ever built and the one next to that is the office area. And we want to be able to tighten up in those offices and free up some space that if designed well by the architects and feasible, that could be some great education space that's in close proximity to the centrality of the the campus. So it might be in 2019 we have some, some construction going on to give us that space. And then, of course, begin our final campaign, which is a pledge campaign of $3 million or more which will be in between a 24 to 36 month window if the harvest offering comes in greater than what the goal is then we can reduce down the number of months now that's important because the completion of the project needs to be simultaneous with the completion of the pledges that are being received so that you can actually start construction before the all the 8 million dollars is raised in cash if we see that we're 12 months out in the pledge campaign then we can be the beginning of a 12-month construction project and at the conclusion walk in without debt then step three is to build the new worship facility uh, which you have a picture of just a real elementary layout of what that will be you know we haven't employed the architect yet so we, we don't know all the dynamics that will be ours they'll do a lot of interviewing with you and others that will help them to determine but what we're thinking Uh, You're somewhere right in that building where I just put that dot. Why don't I change that to a a color of red or something so that you can see that well. You're somewhere right in there. And the worship facility uh, is penciled in right here, uh, pretty much where the playground is. Uh, We'll move the playground so that everybody has... Uh, what they're longing to have there. But what I'm really excited about is you can go from one part of the building all the way down to the end of the campus and never go out from under a roof. Uh, That's a beautiful thing when it's raining and it's December, right? Well, when it's raining and it's July too, uh, to, to have that access. But what I'm really excited about is the connectivity space that's all around this place. Envision with me not small corridors, but open spaces with a little coffee cafe, and you're in conversation, and in that conversation, you need to pause, and you need to pray with that person. You need to share some biblical truth with that person. You just need to encourage. And you had places where you could say, hey, let's sit down for a minute. Let's, let's talk. Let's pray together. Or it's Tuesday morning. Hey, let's stop by the Connection space at Meadowbrook, and let's have a cup of coffee, and let's talk about that and engage one another in that way. And, of course, the ability to to just have connection points to meet people. Of course, this covered drop-off area is essential where our people can just pull up and drop off their wives so that they stay in the dry as they're coming. And what's really cool about this uh, potential plan is you have all this additional parking space. It's 174 just sketched in right there of great parking. So right now the visual for Meadowbrook is if you're coming south and you're going north, towards Gadsden you've got a good visual of Meadowbrook I wonder what it's going to be like to come on Rainbow Drive going south and you can see Meadowbrook from this vantage point as well that will really be a great opportunity for us now why is that important because God is a God of excellence God is a God of grandeur God is a God of beauty and all of this communicates well to the message that we have been given by Christ himself so since our first harvest offerings you have been giving sacrificially and i know it it sounds like i'm pleading i rarely plead for funds but i'm telling you those of you who are faithful in your giving god has already given you the rebound on that i think by and large the majority of people who gave have already seen god replenish that source i know it's the truth for us Kay and I gave one half of our savings that we hold locally, the cash that we have. Now, we've got some, some investments that we don't, you can't liquidate so quickly. But the cash that we have, we gave one half of that in the first harvest offering. God has not only already replaced that, but he's given us more. And I just believe that he's doing that for a lot of people. So with that kind of God that we're serving, because you can't outgive him. With that kind of God that we're serving, I'm bold enough to say I'm asking for us to give, including Kamey. We prayed about it three times. Well, this will be our third time to pray about it today alone. That we would give sacrificially and collectively we would give sacrificially in the harvest offering. That would get us the completion of the first two tiers. And the last of it, I believe, is going to be the most easy for us to accomplish, the, the, the monthly contribution. So I'm going to ask you to do that. But I'm going to ask you to be prayerful through it. Because money is one thing, but prayer and power of prayer in agreement with God and His will, here on earth as it is in heaven, is what is essential. So pray in earnest that we are following the the will and the way of God. Pray for the 930 hour attenders. As I, was, I knew that you would probably be excited about this and the 8 o'clock crowd would be excited about this, but I've got some in the 9.30 that are not connected to life groups and doing away with that hour of worship has the potential to be a disenfranchisement. And I so am guarding that. I don't want that to happen. I want them to engage and connect relationally through life groups. So pray for that 9.30 group that, that we can engage them and bring them to a deeper relationship with And fellowship with Meadowbrook. And just seek the counsel of God. What it is that he would have you to do. How how you might partner in this. This past week as I was preparing for my talk today, I was trying to find a a file. I was using a particular program that I have that helps me find files that get hidden in your computer. You know what, you've got those too. So I do some keyword searches. And I did not find the file that I was looking for, but what I did find was a photo of about 60 years ago of the first Meadowbrookers under a tent that had been borrowed by the armory. And they were right up there on that property. And they were believing in faith that God was establishing a church and that he would provide for them as only he can do. And as God is my witness... In my office, I had in my heart a deep, resonating, thank you, God, for faithful people who went out of their way in faith with generosity and started this place. Now, 40 years from now, at our 100th anniversary, I don't know that they're going to know our name and I really don't care that anybody would know our names. But I want that generation to look back to this generation and have that same, thank you, God. The people who were faithful and generous and established a building without debt, thank you, God. I'm the recipient of their hard work. I pray that you and I will be that generation and that God would find us faithful and give us the opportunity to make such an investment.